Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Good morning. It's good to see you. And ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There should be one around you somewhere, a little black hardback Bible, or you can go on your phone or device to ESV Bible. Org. That's esvbible.org, and you can find Ecclesiastes chapter 8 there. Well, Solomon, if you've been with us this whole time, if you're one of your first Sundays with us, what we're seeing in the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon preaching to us and showing us what really matters in life the most. That with these things, he uses this word over and over again, this word vanity, and it means, in Hebrew, it means just vapor or steam. What is fleeting? What is escaping? What is not lasting? And what really is lasting? What matters most? And he goes through this to show us that we humans, we are prone to put all of our weight on these things that we think we can find ultimate joy in and ultimate meaning or to find stability in life. And from chapter one through seven chapters now, he has meticulously taking us on a tour through life under the sun. And today in, in chapter eight, he repeats himself a little bit He's going to rehash some of the things he has been saying in chapter 6 and in chapter 7. And this is not because he is senile. And this is not because he's running out of material. This is an extended sermon. This book is. And he's reminding us of what he has said. And he's reinforcing what he knows to be true and what we are prone to forget. We're going to go over some of these things today. And you're going to be like, oh, yeah, didn't he say that? Because we've already forgotten it. And so Solomon, just like any good, any good public speaker, he repeats himself multiple times. So it begins to really get into our minds. And really, I think this chapter, chapter 8, is really teaching us how to walk in the way of God's wisdom and to trust God and to rejoice in God and to rejoice from God and to not crack under the vanity, to not crack under the steam of this world and to really remain undistracted while we live under the sun. So let's begin reading in chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 8. And if you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we do every week. And we hear from the Holy Spirit through our brother Solomon in verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the commands will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had no, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, fleeting, vapor, steam. 
because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this also is vanity, and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in all his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us, please. Help me, please. By your divine power and by the Holy Spirit, would you meet us now and give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see what it is you are saying to us in your word. And may we taste and see. And may we, by faith, Behold your goodness to us under the sun. Help us now, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Now, Natalie, my wife and I, we've been watching. I, I've always been a Rockets fan as far as I can remember as a little kid, especially when you have Akeem Olajuwon in that era. It's a lot more difficult to be a Rockets fan now, but it's possible. With God, all things are possible. And we're, we're watching these games and one of the games of the other night, a guy on the Warriors, his name is Maurice Spates. And he's a no-name guy. Like, if I said Steph Curry, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've heard him. Or, like, yeah, he's really good. Or Mo Spates, be like, no idea. Well, this guy, he does not look like he would be good at basketball, especially a good shooter. Maybe rebounder. He, he's what they call a big-boned player. I mean, he, he's a big boy. And he can hit a three-pointer. And he's deadly. And if you don't respect him, he's going to hit it again and again and again. And Natalie and I were watching it, and she goes, I would just yell at him. Right when he's about to shoot, I would just scream as loud as I could, clap in his face, and just try to distract him so he would miss. I said, that doesn't work. And you see it. You watch. If anyone's shooting in front of the, op the opposing team's bench, some of those players will yell, and they'll clap and, and try to distract him. And I told Natalie, look, that works when I'm playing a pickup game at Lakewood United Methodist Church. That works when I'm playing with a bunch of scrubs and all the scrubs are playing together. Because, yeah, I can distract them. We can clap. We can scream. You can, like, make funny noises and try to make each other laugh and miss. That works at Lakewood United Methodist. That doesn't work in Toyota Center. These guys are pros. They don't crack. And even when guys are shooting free throws, the Rockets sometimes, they'll put a, they put a guy, another big-boned guy, put him, painted him green, put him in a trash can, and he was popping out of the trash can while the guy was shooting free throws. Did not phase the guy. If you saw that, you, you would airball it for sure. They don't crack. They stay strong. 
And it reminds me of my kids when they're eating dessert and watching Netflix. They are undistractable. What Solomon's going through in this chapter, he's, when it comes to life under the sun, Solomon is telling us, don't crack. Life is riddled with pain and difficulties and landmines and temptations. He says, don't get distracted under the sun. Don't get distracted by the steam. Look at verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of the thing? So he's stepping back and just saying, let's think about wisdom. Let's think about the wise man and the wise woman. Who is like them? There's no one like them. And really, biblically wise person. This is not someone who knows the cliches, who has read a lot of books, who knows some cool phrases and some idioms and some morality lingo. No, wisdom is not smarts or morality. It's not knowledge to win trivial pursuit. As I said in our series in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is, if you harmonize the Proverbs and the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, and you take the New Testament and you bring them together, you do the patchwork that the Holy Spirit shows us, and you see that wisdom is not just knowing things. Wisdom is Christ-empowered skill to live for the glory of God. Wisdom is Christ. Christ is our wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1. Wisdom is Christ-empowered skill to live for the glory of God. So the wise person from verse 1, who is like the wise? This wise man, this wise woman, it is synonymous with a person who is fearing the Lord. The wise are those who fear the Lord. And this is one of Solomon's mega themes in Ecclesiastes and in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So you see that wisdom is not just knowing things. Wisdom is first about our relation with God. Because the world is filled with people who look wise. But what does the Bible say wisdom is? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's foundational. If we don't have fear of God, and not be, it's, that's not being afraid of God. It's the fear of dishonoring God. It's a desire to want to follow God, to honor God, to submit to God, to revere God. If we don't have that, we are not wise. This is wisdom. It's foundational. It's the only way. And this squares beautifully with the New Testament. Because you see, people want, maybe you too, maybe you want to. You just want to take the teachings of Christ and just put them into your life. You can't take the moral teachings of Christianity as your own apart from having a moral revolution on your own, of your own. Christianity isn't primarily about life advice, and neither is the book of Ecclesiastes. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if Christianity only means one more bit of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance. There has been no lack of good advice for the last 4,000 years. A bit more makes no difference. There must be a complete upheaval of who you are, down to the very core of your person, in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, and in your strength, all submitted to the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. So the fear of 
the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, this must mean that wisdom, it's, it's not the beginning of following him. Following him is the beginning of following him. You can't just take the teachings and go, okay, now I'm following Jesus. No, you must fear the Lord. And then wisdom comes into your life. Christianity doesn't begin with the teachings of Jesus, but with Jesus himself. Christianity is about what Christ has done, about God and man being reconciled by the life and the death of Jesus for sinners and the resurrection of Jesus to pay for our sins. Christianity is not about man heeding God's advice, but about God reconciling us to himself through Christ. So when Solomon says, who is like the wise? If we bring Old Testament, New Testament together, this wise person, this is not just people who make good decisions. This is the person who has been born again by the Holy Ghost. And now people who are crucified with Christ, raised with Christ, walking with Christ, and following Christ. Who is like the wise? This is who the Christian is. And look how he continues. And who knows the interpretation of a thing? Now, because we trust Christ, we can interpret what's happening in the world around us. You know, there are people trying to figure out the world. How did we get here? Because we are the wise people in Christ with Christ-empowered skill to live for the glory of God, we now know that we were not some kind of primordial goop that went through a different level of change, and here we are. But that God spoke us into creation. That God took the dust and formed us and made us in his image. We don't have to look at the stars and wonder through horoscopes and through tarot cards and through reading and through navigation and through trying to figure all things, things out, how the universe is unfolding, how are things going to end? Because we know we can look at the stars and we can remember that there is a Lord who spoke to Abraham and said, look at the stars. As many as the stars you see, so shall your offspring be. And we don't have to lay out chakras and candles and seances and mystics to try to figure out the interpretation of the universe. We know that according to Ephesians 1.10, that all things will be summed up in Christ and that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So when the Christian knows there is a sovereign God, they know the interpretation of a thing. So you see that just from verse 1, that wisdom, this biblically formed, gospel-shaped wisdom is a heart and mind that's been infused with the Word of God. And it's kind of like we've also been candy apple dipped into the love of Jesus. And now this man and this woman is different. Because look at what he says. Continuing in verse 1, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. Whenever I see verses like this in the Bible, and the hardness of his face is changed. And I always think of these two guys. You remember those two Muppets up in the balcony? <laughs> always complaining, always saying mean things, and they have prefabricated grumpy faces. That's how a lot of people live. Brows furrowed a lot. They complain a lot. Maybe it's not always their fault. The seasons of life had weathered them, and they, they just haven't responded accordingly. That's how a lot of Christians live, too. But wisdom, not just knowing things, but knowing God, changes us. This is what he says. The hardness of his face is changed. It's altered. The wisdom 
it's now shining through his face. And this is probably the fundamental problem in so many of our churches and probably even among us here in the Bible Belt. We know a lot of things, but we don't know God. We know about God, but we don't know God. We know Jesus is alive, but we don't know why that matters for this moment right now. We know Jesus conquered death, but we're not sure how that impacts our addictions and our lusts and our temptations. We know the Holy Spirit is with us, but not really sure how that helps us pray or how that helps us kill temptation. You see, wisdom is not just knowing things. Friends, knowing God, knowing Jesus makes the face shine. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. Who is our wisdom? Paul says, Christ is our wisdom, 1 Corinthians 1. So what makes our face shine? The reality that you've been forgiven, that you've been forgiven of all your sins and that the tomb really is empty, that Jesus really did rise from the dead and is reigning and ruling in the heavenly places and will one day descend and will call us out of our graves, and we will rise, that one day there will not be enough nails in the coffin to keep you in, and that we will reign and rule with him forever on the new earth. A man's wisdom, Christ, makes the face shine. That right now you are loved by the almighty triune God. God's wisdom doesn't just help us navigate life. It does that. But to only reduce it to that is to cheapen it. It makes our faces shine even when the havel is all around us. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. Who others, what other men have had their face shine? Moses, when he met with God up on the mountain, and he came down and he was like a glow-in-the-dark basketball. He had absorbed all that stuff and now it's just coming back out at his face. But then it faded. I think Solomon's reminding us of the blessing of Aaron, that Aaron was to give to the nation of Israel from the Lord. And in Numbers chapter 6, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron. So God telling Moses to tell Aaron and his son saying, this is how you shall bless the people of Israel. This is the blessing I want on my people. The Lord bless you and keep you. Here it is. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So so you see how kind and loving God is. He wants to bless his people. He will keep his people. He will make his face to shine upon you. He will be gracious to you. He will lift you up. He will give you peace. And God knows we need this. Because in our vain lives under the sun, we need something with a higher wattage to shine on us. And did you see what it was? What it is? The Lord make his, his face, God's face to shine upon you. God's wisdom. Who is Jesus Christ? So, Well, Satan says a man's wisdom makes his face shine. Well, who is it? Is it the Lord's face or wisdom's face? Well, now wisdom has a face, and it's a Jewish one. And he makes his face shine upon us, affecting us. I mean, just think about Jesus when 
he's resurrected. And he reveals to himself the disciples and they see his face. And Thomas says what? My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You could just say, Abraham rejoiced to see my face. And he did. And we too now, with unveiled face, we are beholding the glory of the Lord. The majority of the language in this Bible of of God's face shining, a lot of it is filled in the Psalms. And I can only think and find two instances in all of Scripture where a man's face is shining. One, Moses. All the other passages are about God. And then the others are with Jesus. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where he's transformed and shines brightly. says his face is shining like the sun. And in the book of Revelation in chapter 1, John says, And I saw Jesus and his face was shining brilliantly. But you see, Moses' face didn't stay shining, but Jesus' face does. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when you know Jesus, The wisdom of God, the glory of God, life under the sun takes on a new dynamic. It begins to see past the steam and knows that one day the fog will clear and what is eternal will be seen. So every time when you're driving in the morning or you're driving at night and there's those clouds, kind of the fog and the the steam, and then those sun rays are piercing through. And everyone tries to take a picture of it. You can never get it right. You can never capture it just as well. Why can't they make a phone that can take exactly what we see, you know? You don't see it, but you, you see it perfectly when you're driving on, whoa, the sun rays piercing through. You think of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. God will make his face shine upon you through the havel, through the steam, through the vanity, through all the things under the sun. We're directed to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So do you know Jesus or do you just know about Jesus? Do you know of his death for sinners, to to pay for sins and to rise again from the dead and to give you new life? This is the beginning of wisdom. Then the whole universe opens up to you. And Christian, listen, this matters because having God shine his face on us while we live under the sun matters because your boss will not always shine his face on you. Diseases in your body and and broken cells in your body are not shining their face on you. Your checking account. Life under the sun will not always favor you. No matter what you pray, no matter what you buy, no matter what you read, seasons of life under the sun will not always shine favorably on us. This is what Solomon gets to next. He prefaces this, how great it is to have wisdom and to have our faces shining and the hardness of face is changed because he goes through life under the sun. It's still difficult and challenging. And it's great. I think you can almost capture like, we're here on Sunday morning. It's wonderful. We're worshiping Jesus. It's awesome. We're reminding ourselves that we're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And then Monday's coming. You've got to do it all again. Well, Solomon doesn't back away from that either. Look at verse 2. He says, he talks about this unjust ruler. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. This is all throughout the Bible. Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. 
and to God the things that are God's. Peter says, honor the emperor. And God puts kings in places. What he says in verse 3, be not hasty to go from his presence. Don't, a slam door is never a sign of a good thing. That's kind of what he's getting at. You're upset with the king. You don't like what he's doing. Your boss, your ruler, the president, I mean, whatever. We can go on and on and on. Don't be hasty around him. Why? Don't take your stand on an evil cause. He's going to talk about this more in a second. For he does whatever he pleases. Don't barge out. Don't flip out. Don't feel like you have to take a stand right then or right there. The king's going to do whatever he pleases. Just like kings in the ancient Near East, whatever they say goes. Verse 4, for the word of the king is supreme. If he says, get rid of all the boys under two years old in Bethlehem, it happens. If he says, I want this entire empire, I want them all to be my servants and slaves, back then it happens. Kim Jong-un says, I want my uncle dead. It happens. God's wisdom is in his face is shining upon us, but the world's not shining on us. He goes and reminds us how difficult and painful it is. But look what he says in verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. So he's not saying, hey, don't, you know, don't stand up for pro-life causes. What's the point? You know, don't stand up for sanctity of marriage. What's the point? No, he's saying, look, be wise in how you do it. Know the proper time. Know the just way. I don't think changing our social media icons with the social justice cause of the month is really going to change anything. It's, we could do it. It's fine. It's not wrong. But I don't think... Boko Haram is going, oh, man, do you see all those Christians changing their Facebook profiles? No, this is not how it works. That's not the just cause. That's not the proper way. Really, I think what Solomon's getting at in verse 5 is that wisdom and patience and wisdom and impatience can't ride in the same car together. They're, they're opposed to each other. And it's easy for us Christians in the Bible Belt to take our impatience and then dress it up as zeal. And a lot of them know it's still impatience. And look at verse 6. He doesn't want to minimize these burdens for us. There is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Yes, life is heavy. Life is painful. Life is difficult. And it's frustrating, especially our justice system. Look at verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place. They were hypocrites. They were praised in the city when they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed, verse 11, is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. If our justice system took care of things in one day, I bet we'd have a lot less crimes. If we had one prison for the whole world, you commit a crime, you go in. And someone else commits a crime, all right, that person gets thrown in the ocean. If that was how fast things were, it'd be like, whoa, I'm going to rethink stealing this stuff. But that's not how our system is. That's, that's not a proper justice system. He's just saying, look, things take forever. Because these sentences are not executed speedily, people are fully set to do evil. We humans, apart from the grace of God, we are dialed in to do wrong because we think we can get away with it. Look what he says in verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet... 
I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. It will be well for those, not who do well. This is what we still think in the Bible, but we see the heart of the gospel right here. We still think it will be well for those who do well. That's not what the Bible says. It will be well for those not who are sinless, not who are perfect, not, not who try to do good, but who fear God, whose people, they're now, their relationship with God is now defined by reverence and submission and honor and reciprocal love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a Christian. It will go well with those who fear God. Verse 13, but it will not, but it will not be well with the wicked. Hell awaits the wicked. If you are going to be impatient about anything in life, listen, if you're going to be impatient, a lot of us are impatient. If you're going to be impatient about anything in life, be impatient about knowing whether or not you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have believed in him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have believed in him and his resurrection from the dead for the eternal salvation of your body and soul, and when you know that, then the wisdom of God and his face shining upon us burns away the havel, burns away the steam, and we see dimly his promises in his word. But there's still struggles. Look at verse 14. There is another vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And then there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said, this also is vanity. So sometimes there are righteous people who get treated like they're wicked people. And then there are wicked people who get treated like they're righteous. And Solomon says, this is horrible. This is fleeting. This happens to our brothers and sisters all around the world where you have areas and cultures and communities where terrorists reign supreme and where Christians get killed. They're mistreated, persecuted, outcasts. Solomon says it's horrible and it's fleeting. It's fleeting. So I think the way he's using this, you have the righteous who are treated like the wicked and the wicked who are treated like the, the righteous. This is vanity. This is fleeting, meaning it won't be like this forever. There's a throne right now with Jesus sitting on it. Then the martyrs for all of church history are gathered around him saying, when will you vindicate our blood, Lord? Is it time? Is this is coming. Well, the Lord himself will hunt down every member of ISIS who has tortured a Christian and says, it's time. Every dictator will be held accountable. Every injustice in the world will be reversed and justice will be on blast. Every persecutor properly sentenced. But what do we do until then? Do we mope? We complain? We become bitter? We try to figure it out? And Psalm says we can't even figure it out. Look what he says in verse 17. I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. We, we can't try to figure all of this out. Like when a guy writes a book in 1988, why 88 reasons why the Lord will return in 1988. I think he missed it. I'm not sure. I think he missed it. Or when people are trying to add up the names of, 
you know, the numbers. If you take each number of a politician, you add up all the numbers and add up their name. And then, oh, this, this one politician, he's the Antichrist. It spells out Antichrist. Like, okay, no, stop. Go away. That's not how this works. We continue. So however much man might toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, ah, I know, I know, I figured it all out. No, you haven't. So what does this mean? It requires faith. Faith is not figuring it out. Faith is faith. It is trust. So what do we do then? If we can't even figure it out what God is doing and we just have to trust him, then what do we do? Mope, complain, be the angry puppets up in the thing? Question everything? Doubt God? No, no, no. What do we do? Verse 15. Here's what Solomon says. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go well with him at all his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And he said this a few times already throughout Ecclesiastes, and he's saying it again and again. I recommend, I commend, I prescribe joy. Be joyful and be glad and rejoice. And this is not escapism. This isn't ignoring it. This isn't distracting yourself. Just eat, drink, and be merry. This is not that kind of thing where, ah, everything is horrible. Eh, let's just retreat into our shelters. No, this is not that. This commending of joy and to eat and drink and to be joyful. No, this is supreme confidence and the goodness and sovereignty of God. This is the kind of steady-handedness to where even though the world is burning, that you trust God. Even though the havel is getting laid on thick and the suffering is heavy and the dominoes are falling, joy is still found. Not joy in those things, but joy despite those things. Full strength, trust in God. If you have full strength, trust in God, you can remember that joy can be had. Even in the mundane things of life, eat and drink. So, Get a slice of turtle cheesecake and show the demonic powers that you aren't terrified one bit. (laughs) This is in the Psalms. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's like an old Bugs Bunny cartoon when he's in a war and he's like fighting the Romans and he's out there eating a steak and he's just relaxing. Why? He's got full confidence in what's about to unfold. So open up a bottle of your favorite beverage. Eat some raw cookie dough. It's not too much. Because you know that God is in control. You aren't terrified because you aren't yellow-bellied, hiding under the table. No, you know you're covered by the blood of the lamb. You're trusting him, confident in his promises, enjoying a meal at the table in the presence of your enemies. We've said this before, and I think it bears repeating again here in this section of this book. Don't let what you can't control ruin what you can enjoy. Don't let what you can't control ruin what you can enjoy. You know what's amazing about Jesus after the resurrection? He's risen from the dead. The disciples find him again. Do you know what he's doing? He's on the shore, got a little charcoal fire going, grilling some fish. 
eat, drink, be joyful. So where are you today in trusting God? Don't let what you can't control ruin what you can enjoy. Trust him. Tomorrow has its own problems. You can only live today. You can only live right now. And think about the problems in your life, whatever they are. One, two, three, dozen. Think about the problems in your life. I can think of some things. If you can do something about it, to make it better, to alleviate it, to comfort yourself, do it. If you can't, if you can't even talk to someone who could do something or there's nothing that can be done, it's outside of your hands. Just pray. Trust God. Bring your hands together and pray. And then open those hands and then grab that butternut crunch out of the freezer. Because <laughs> hand wringing is not going to do anything. Even in light of all these horrible things that Solomon just went over, he says, I commend joy. Don't be distracted. Be joyful because Jesus reigns. Pray like the psalmist, like David in Psalm 51, the greatest joy, the beginning of joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That I've been redeemed by Christ. That all of my sins have been forgiven. That he is reigning and ruling in the heavenly places for me that he loves me, that he gives me his spirit, that he has given me a community, that he's given me a church family, that he's given me his word, and that he's given me a promise of a place that he is preparing for me. Don't be distracted under the sun. May you feel his face shining upon you through all of the havel. Let's pray together.